Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. So gear up with the crew as they talk about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you back to the Speckled Truth Podcast. Captain Chris here, down in Port Mansfield uh, with Captain Wayne Davis. Wayne, welcome to the show, man. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. Yeah, no, it, and, and so we've known each other for a bit of time and we've been able to kind of link up in San Antonio since... Uh, your kind of homesteads there when you're not down here in port. Uh, and so obviously living in San Antonio, when you do come back to town, uh, get to hook up here and there. And uh, you've also been on some of the, the Speckled Truth Facebook live videos, which we appreciate. Mm-hmm. And I uh, want to welcome you to the show, man. Well, I, I appreciate you coming down to Port Mansfield. We're going to get to do a little fishing and uh, have a good time. I know you got the rest of the crew here, too, from the Speckled Truth, uh, Kyle and Ed, Mm -hmm. and we've got a bunch of our folks down here from the KW team, and uh, we're going to we're going to go out and have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're and we're looking forward to it. That's for sure. So um, before we get into the conversation, I wanted to go ahead and kind of ask this kind of a customary question, and that is for folks that don't necessarily know who you are, just give a little bit about yourself. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, I grew up in San Antonio, uh, went into law enforcement at a, at a young age, made my first trip to Port Mansfield in 1990, mm. um, started fishing a lot in Port Mansfield 95 on, and 04, you know, bought a place in Port Mansfield, and while I was working as a police officer, got my captain's license and uh, started guiding around that time frame part-time on and off every holiday weekend vacation day christmas doesn't matter i was fishing and guiding in port Mm -hmm. mansfield working towards a retirement plan and uh 2018 i retired from police department and now full-time uh guide in port mansfield and uh just a little backtrack in 2009 i bought the then kelly wigglers Mm -hmm. rebranded to k wigglers known today as k wigglers and those two things kind of complemented each other, you know, owning a yeah. soft plastic bait company and being a fishing guide. Yeah, so, no, and that worked out great. Yeah, and so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about K Wigglers and kind of the origin of that and how you came to own it and, and things and kind of what's forward or what's next uh, with the brand. I certainly want to talk to you about that, but man, I envy you <laughs> because you're uh, in four years, I'll be able to retire from the military. And, yeah. uh, with some aspirations, we've had conversations with regards to that and kind of taking that next step after you know, service to the government or service to the city and, and, uh, then kind of what that afterlife looks like. And so to kind of see it transpire right in front of my very eyes, it's actually pretty inspiring. And, uh, you know, for like the first time ever, I actually want like time to speed up a little bit and yeah. kind of get me to that level. But now I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm, that's awesome, man. I didn't, uh, I knew a little bit, but you know, I didn't know you were actually retired police officer. I knew you were in the police academy and, and stuff like that. What was it like being a police officer in Santone? Uh, I, I worked think, for. Not to yeah, digress too much. But. I worked for a suburb, at the city of Castle Hills. It was great. It was the it was the best job ever, Chris. I, it was the funnest job. It was at the right time. Uh, we had, it it was just it was just a blast. I worked every aspect <laughs> of law enforcement, all the way up to when I retired as a chief of police. Okay. And uh, uh, it was, it couldn't have asked for a better, a better career. Truly, that's cool. Truly, it was, it was the best. So, were you always like into fishing though? Always into fishing and hunting, hunting and fishing. You know, either one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I always leaned towards fishing, and then I really leaned towards the salt. Uh, grew up fishing ponds and so forth with my uncle, uh, and my father, and then we started making trips down to Port Aransas, the family okay. trips when you're, you know, ten, fifteen sure. years old. And that's where it where it started, you know. And I discovered Port Mansfield, um, late eighties, early nineties. Did you ever think you were going to be a guide? No, back in those days, no, not really. Um, but when I was working as a police officer and fishing as much as I could, and it was such a good, um, it was such a good foresight, mm-hmm. and knowing, you know, knowing who Mike McBride was and some of the others, Ernest, and just some of the players that were doing it, and it was like, wow, they're doing that, and they're making a living out of it, and I said, well, maybe I could do that as a retirement job, you know, just started calculating the mm-hmm. benefits of it, and it being complementary to what I wanted to do, so yeah. that's that was the direction I started in 2004, 
anticipating of retirement for, at that point, 15, 20 years later, mm-hmm. which, which came to fruition and here we are. Yeah, no kidding. So, you know, that, that's actually a pretty good segue to like, for folks maybe interested in getting into the guide business. Um, now as a full-time guide yourself, like what was maybe some lessons learned or what advice would you give to some of the folks looking to get into some of that or to that line of work, if you will? Well, it's, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to say it's a diluted profession right now, but there's a lot of fishing guides, you know, in, in a small mm-hmm. particular area, such as lower Laguna Madre. It's a tough job. I would say it would be a real tough job doing it full-time. Uh, not, you know, because you, you have to deal, Hey, we were shut down six weeks. Mm-hmm. you know, this year or 2020, right? Because of the, the virus. And that's no income. If you're not fishing, you're not making income. Um, I, I was, I've always been a believer in having a backup plan mm-hmm. and even some points having a backup to the backup plan. <laughs> K Wigglers. Uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, have, you have, have a couple backup plans because, you know, if we have, you know, a red tide, a hurricane comes through, I mean, things are shut down and you're not fishing. And then you have to have the clientele mm-hmm. to support it. You have boat maintenance, boat insurance, your dr- drug screening program. You have to have all those licenses or, or documents to support your charter business mm-hmm. if you want to run it legit. And it can be expensive to run a charter biz, a charter company and uh, pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that was something. Uh, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be a fishing guide. Admittedly, I mean, growing up in South Louisiana, um, you know, seeing, I uh, want to just like, I think most everyone listening to the podcast just had this true affinity for the water, just wanted to always fish, you know, and fishing a lot, so much with my dad, like it was almost inevitable, like Chris, just be a fishing guide. And so, um, I wanted to do that. And obviously the, the air force came about just as a result of nine 11, that's a whole separate story, but uh, the point there is like now kind of looking back to some of the guides that have actually done that for a full time, like Brad Schmidt, Nash Roberts, and some of the folks in my area that kind of made that a life profession. Um, one, they're, they are successful at it, but it is in, insanely stressful. Uh, both are single, you know, mm-hmm. admittedly, and, and that's maybe by choice, but, um, you know, they, they've kind of made those kind of life choices to kind of dedicate to their profession. It's a very demanding profession i think that you see the the glamour of it of holding fish maybe being in magazines and doing all these things for pro staff and folks within the industry but really the the underlying component is just the amount of work effort and energy no that it takes away from no your time away from everything else right no doubt let me uh, you know a full day you know i i don't really do half days because those those are becoming pretty popular i think but you're talking the day starts at 5:30 in the morning mm-hmm. and if you're doing a full day you're you're cleaning the boat and fueling up probably around 5 5:30 that evening mm-hmm. cleaning fish um getting a bite to eat and doing it again the next day and you're tired because <laughs> in my particular case it's wade fishing and artificials only i mean so we're waiting a lot yeah and, and making a lot of cast and you're making a lot yeah. of cast walking just walking mud doesn't matter shell doesn't matter. You're walking yeah. there, whether it's muddy or not. So it's pretty strenuous. And if you have back to back to back days, you're pretty you're pretty worn out, and you really look forward to a day off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Um, so you know, down here, uh, Lower Laguna Madre, Mansfield, certainly one of my favorite places to be. Uh, it's the wade fishing heaven. It's got big trout, mm-hmm. you know, and you can obviously any cast can really result in a tr- in a fish of a lifetime. Um, but you coming down here kind of during the time that you did tell us a little bit about maybe some of the environmental changes, the changes to the fishery and things of that nature. Well, uh, back in those days, you know, it was real, uh, secluded. Port Mansfield was a secluded location, so to speak. There wasn't very many guides to boat traffic was very, very low. You could go out and see one, two, four boats a day on a weekend Mm -hmm. during the week, maybe one or maybe zero boats out there you really had the bay to yourself uh it was and the fishing was phenomenal it was excellent fishing at the time you didn't have to go far to catch fish and Mm -hmm. today you really still don't have to go far but generally speaking when i started going fishing port mansfield in the early 90s i would i would drag a little aluminum boat to port mansfield and load my camping gear up and go out to the jetties and camp out Mm -hmm. right because i couldn't afford to get a hotel and I would literally fish five miles north of the East Cut or five miles south of the East Cut by the pipeline. So basically, if you know Port Mansfield, I fish between the pipeline and Butcher's Island, 
right? And that just that zone. And you could catch as many fish as you wanted there all the time. That mm-hmm. was it. That's all you needed to do. And uh, it, it was excellent, you know. Um, and then just go back to port to get water. That's all I really needed yeah. to get to go back out and camp out on the beach. And that's changed yeah tremendously yeah it's changed you saw it down there mm-hmm. um you've seen it we're, we're here now and we're and the boat traffic's pretty heavy the parking lots are full um it's winter mm-hmm. the or it's a it doesn't matter anymore whether it's a monday or a, or a friday or a saturday it's it's pretty pretty consistently busy down here boat traffic um and we're just having to work around that yeah so how do you, how do you adapt to that you know one is being a, a charter captain and having to put you know, your guest on fish, but, you know, maybe some of your approach, if you're willing to share that with us, right? Yeah. I, and you know, I try to, I try my best to, to, to stay away from the crowds. Does it always work? Absolutely not. But I do my best. If I, if, if fish are being caught in a particular area, generally that information gets out amongst the the groups and and then mm-hmm. that place becomes relatively crowded because the lower laguna madre is only 270 square miles with an average depth of three and a half feet okay well that sounds like a big area but it's not a big area when you have a high volume of folks fishing mm-hmm. and um the boats and motors these days do 80 miles an hour you can cover some water real quick and yeah. get to where you need to go right yeah. so it's not a big area so if i know that this a particular area has got a lot of fish in and it's getting crowded even though there's fish there, there's a fish other locations in the lower Laguna Madre. So I try to work towards that, develop something, mm-hmm. and then put my clients on fish in a more peaceful atmosphere. Yeah, uh, so to speak. No, absolutely. So I know Blackwood discussed it. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back from the various podcasts and, and the folks that have been on the podcast, and you know, talking about that simple fact of just the volume of people in the bays and the waterways now. Um, and in how fish have maybe adapted to that and, and have kind of now they were kind of creatures of habit. Well, now their, their habit has just changed, you know, and it's adapted as a result of the overwhelming pressure that fishermen have and fisher people have put on the actual estuary. And so their behaviors have become different. And so his kind of approach, Mr. Blackwood specifically was kind of like yours, which is, you know, not going where you know, 10 or 15 boats are, and there is known to be fish there. He's much more, he actually has more confidence going to an area that's less pressured, uh, has some, you know, nuance and bottom contour and some, you know, uh, habitat for some of these big fish. Maybe not necessarily know they're going to be there, but he's going to go fish that and he's going to have a lot more confidence just because it's not pressured. And so if that fish is there, that fish is going to be willing to eat. Is that yes, that, kind of along that same that, line of thought? A hundred percent. You know, it's like I was talking to somebody the other day. It's like, you know what, do you want to read the news or you want to make the news? And, and, and it's like, was it you? Yeah. You know, he, yeah. It was great. Well, it was maybe. Great. Yeah. You know, but I've heard, I, and it, you reminded me of that statement, right? Because yeah. you, it, it was, I heard it long ago. Yeah. But then just the other day we were talking and you said the same thing. And I'm thinking, I think your dad, your yeah. dad may yep. be the That's one. Exactly That's right. right. Yeah. I say it all the time. So yeah, sorry. But it's, but it's such a cool thing to, to be like that or to take that approach to fishing because, yeah. you know, it, I always, when I, when I fish and I, I want to be the guy there that that discovered something mm-hmm. right where we've got a school of fish big fish in a particular 50 yard 100 yard stretch of water right i want to be the guy that gets there on the front end mm-hmm. rather than be there on the back end right yeah. to play catch up or you know that that approach to to fishing is what i've ended up it's it's where i'm steered these days yeah to to do um and we'll and we'll and you and i and the guys will we will take that approach this weekend yeah, no, sure. And so, um, and, and that is what Pops is saying. And actually, McBride took it one step further. And so my dad's saying was, don't read about the news, make the news. And so McBride said, don't read about the news, read the water, then make the news. And that really kind of goes to, again, just being on the water and being in tune with the surroundings and understanding your estuary and understanding maybe fish pattern and behavior. And then when you're out there, you can adapt to whatever the conditions are and then be more consistent in catching fish. And so as opposed to just being like, yep, that hundred yard stretch of land or that, that depression or whatever it is, is holding fish. 
try to figure out, okay, if they're holding to that type of structure, where, where are the other hundred, hundred depressions? Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's something else that's setting up as a result of a different wind shift or, you know, uh, an environmental change. Like we just had a hard front, right? We're post frontal here. Coming uh, off the full moon. Right. Off a full, super high. Weekend. Yeah, we have weekend. So we, we have certainly things that aren't in our favor, but, you know, you take those into consideration and you adapt on the water and on the fly and hopefully it's productive, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and in in the Facebook Live that we did, if for folks who've heard this uh, and may have seen it, but for maybe folks who just heard from Cap Wayne on this podcast, uh, we talked about kind of his formula to success. And if you don't mind, sir, kind of rehashing that. Yeah. Uh, and kind of your formula kind of as you approach each day. Yeah, the fishing equation, yeah. you know, is what we <laughs> yeah. talked about. I know it, it, it's pretty popular. I mean, it's, I say it's popular. I talk about it all the time. Did a seminar at Fishing Tackle Unlimited a couple of weeks ago, me and Captain Ernest. And it's, you know, I've, I developed this fishing equation that has just a hundred, not a hundred, but a, a lot of different variables that I look at mm-hmm. before I go fishing, such as, you know, wind speed, wind direction, water temperature, lunar phase, is the moon rising, is the moon falling, is it fishing, is it a weekday, is it a weekend, is it a morning, is it an evening, is there a lot of fishing pressure out there? You just, you just chip away at all that or pull away the, the ones that are applicable to you and that should be your game plan for that day mm-hmm. and that's how I approach every single day of fishing that I go out there whether it's alone or with six people on, on board and and I work off of that and then from that point I make small moves a small you know I've said it a hundred times a hundred yards can make a world of difference fishing in a flat mm-hmm or some fishing period, right? Just move 100 yards, maybe move 300, right? But it is very, very rare that I would fish, um, and I'm just going to use some places as an example if you're familiar with Port Mansfield. If I'm in Gladys's fishing and I've applied the fishing formula or my fishing equation for that day, it's pretty darn rare that I'm going to saddle up and run to Rattlesnake Bay, right? That's a... 25 miles mm-hmm. away or, or a little bit further. I'm not making a move like that. I may be in Gladys's and I may move one mile, three miles, four miles at tops back again mm-hmm. to Gladys's, right? For just using this as an example. I just, I just pick apart those, those, uh, areas that I have already formulated through the equation in my mind, which is where fish should be holding and based on all those equations. Yeah. And you just try to modify your technique or are you looking for something not necessarily specific to Gladys's, but like something in particular. Yes, but every day is different. You know, the water could drop three inches. It could rise mm-hmm. six. Uh, th- th- we could have a post front. We could have a fishing tournament out of Corpus Christi where all the guys are running down and going to be in Gladys's. Mm-hmm. You know, those little things are going to change change my approach a little bit. And seasonal. You know, it's seasonal too, Chris. You, you got uh, maybe wintertime, maybe summertime. All those all those come into play on how to and being on the water a lot obvi- is the uh, yeah. obvious helpful tip or mm-hmm. tool that you use. What, so that being said, in, in the amount of time that you spend on the water, you know this is almost somewhat of a customary question to this point now as well. But like, what is the one thing that you're truly looking for uh, when you're going to a spot or trying to look for fish in an area? Um. Well, you. I mean. The obvious question or the obvious answer is to try to catch a nice fish. That's what you're looking for when you go there. But but just knowing knowing the water and having the experience mm-hmm. helps you just it just steers you in the direction you need to go and having that experience on the water, you know that that fish aren't on the west side right now. For whatever reason they're all on the east side. So we're gonna modify and look at the east side real close. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna start looking at that at that uh, equation and start picking apart at it. Um, obviously you want to look for bait, all the common things, bait, tidal flow, a tide line, a current line, a wind line, because we Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of current in Port Mansfield, so to speak. We, we work off of the wind a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, What about water clarity? Um, I don't, I'm not a big, I don't, I don't know. I've caught a lot of big fish in dirty water. Um, but water clarity does come into play more so on the clear side, in my opinion, because the fish tend to be a little bit more spooky. So I might modify my, my bait Mm -hmm. in the clearer water. Versus the dirty water, um, or because dirty water. I, I mean, I've caught some fish in mud and and mm-hmm. just impressive fish. So, I've gotten off of the the water clarity thing a lot, and I've caught fish in mud on a clear bait. 
right? So it's like, because they they have a lateral line, they can, they, let me, I learned this from Dr. Greg Stuntz with Heart Institute, Texas A&M, because we're partnered up on some tagging initiatives, but he says, fish don't need to see to eat. They don't need, just presence. Yeah. They don't need to see to eat. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, having said that, that really makes you wonder if the water, if people say, oh, the water's really blown out and it's muddy. Well, it, it is, and it's dirty. And and it, if it was cleaner, it could help a little bit. But yeah. again, fish do not need to see to eat. Yeah. I think that's more psyche than anything. The, like the angler confidence. Yeah, and confidence plays a big role in people's fishing ability. Right. No, for real. Um, and, and that's one of the misnomers I think certainly changed for me growing up in southeast Louisiana. Now, it's a little bit different. Uh, because typically if the water is dirty and turbulent and you do have like some sediment in the column, it's typically as a result of like some sort of freshwater event, right? So if we have like a high river, the water is just generally going to be a little bit more tannic, a little bit darker, um, and you're going to have a little bit more sediment. So if you're seeing, you know, let's say, you know, four to five inches below the the surface of the water, that's like exceptional water clarity. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you could see the foot in your trolling motor, then you're in clear enough water. Right. Um, and so I've always, you know, had to think through that process of like, I had to find the cleanest water available. Well, when I got to Texas and then ultimately then moving to Florida, then now back to Texas, I've seen such a swing in paradigm shifts where being in Texas, I've like you have caught some pretty large fish in some pretty dirty water conditions. Actually, I, I, to, to some extent kind of look for that a little bit more now and most folks' confidence levels would kind of go down. Mine kind of tend to go up mm-hmm. a little bit um, just because I, I think what's there, they can't quite make out the actual true profile of a bait. Again, they're feeding off of presence and kind of instinct versus actual like visual representation. Because in Florida, I mean, the water is so clear and they're so pressured that, you know, really as soon as you flip the bale and that bait goes whizzing by their head and it's not even in the water, they're so line shot, they're going to spook. Mm-hmm. So I've just seen it on both ends of the spectrum here. And so it's interesting that that dirty water, it, to some extent you almost have to sometimes embrace it and it actually will pay off pretty well for you. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Don't, don't shy away from it. Uh, that's what uh, we can leave it with that. You know, don't, yeah. I wouldn't shy away from muddy water or, you know, uh, or, or a color change. You obviously want to work all that kind of all that. If you, if you can find those current lines and color change, but if I, have confidence in an area and I've known that their fish are there fish to been fish it in the past. And now it just happens to be muddy because the wind kicked up or mm-hmm. something. No, I'm not You're worried about there. it. I'm in there. Yeah. Got it. What, uh, so, you know, from a color spectrum, cause we hear that pretty often, like if you're going to go in there and the water is fairly dirty, right? Uh, what is kind of your typical kind of bait color choice, if you will? What? Well, I, I prefer, a bait with vibration of sorts in dirtier water. Okay. I mean, that just makes sense to me based on a fish's response to a, a presence of something else, right? Mm-hmm. So like a KW four inch paddle tail, it vibrates so much you can feel it in the real seat of okay. your rod and reel. So I know if I can feel it in my real seat vibrating under the water, I know a fish can feel it out there 40 yards out. If he's within five, six yards of it, five, six feet, right? He's going to respond to that and investigate and maybe swipe it, hit it, eat it, hungry, not hungry, mm-hmm. you know, just a response strike. So if a four inch uh, paddle tail with a hive, but has a lot of vibration, I'm good with that on, on in that real in that dirty, dirty stuff, in that okay. dirty stuff. And then I'd slip over to a willow tail next. Um, but you know, I, you say that, you know, I, the ball tail shad doesn't have a lot of vibration. It's more of a darting type of bait, but heck you catch them in dirty water with that. But again, the fish have to be there. Mm-hmm. But if I had to pick one, it'd be a four-inch vibrating paddle tail. The, yeah, paddle tail. Like more dirty water conditions. Yes. What about sound? Like in terms of like inserting a rattle or. I'm or not. I don't. I'm not big into the rattles. Okay. I, I don't. I don't have. I don't throw them. <laughs> no. No, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, you know, if unless a soft plastic like a corky or something like that or a fat boy mm-hmm. that does have some rattle already built in, then that's yeah. just kind of the. That's kind of already a part of the bait That's right. choice, right? And really, I don't even, <laughs> as many times I've fished a cork, I've never even thought about it having an actual rattle per se. But as much as like, you know, I'm not going to go out of my way to actually insert um, a rattle into like a soft plastic. Yeah. You know, it's never really been 
kind of an MO or something that I've put a whole tremendous amount of stock in. But I know other folks, you know, again, it's probably between the years in terms of anything mm-hmm. of just fishing with confidence. Yeah. But, um, okay, so choosing a paddle tail over kind of like a more darting style bait, like a ball tail. Mm-hmm. Um, color selection, though, like a plum, morning probably glory. Probably a dark. I would lean dark Okay. on um, in the dirtier stuff. A plum, electric grape, a root beer, okay. something around. But again... The, I, I I fished with a guy a while back, and I swear the, the water was chocolate milk, and he's throwing and a he's sand. Stole, he's throwing a sand ball tail, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, and he's like catching redfish like crazy, right? Well, and then I, and then I thought to myself, there's a lot of fish here, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why he's getting them. But but so it can happen anytime. But if uh, but if I had to lean one way, it'd be a rattle or a paddle tail. This season, we'd like to recognize one of our newest sponsors, and that is Down South Lures. From their regular 4-inch Southern Shad to the 5-inch Supermodel and versatile 3-inch Burner Shads, it's easy to see why these baits have become a go-to for many Texas anglers. Designed with their unique hybrid tail, its natural swims-in-the-fall action produces big trout not only here in the Texas coast, but across all estuaries. Aside from that, though, they're made right here in the USA. So be sure to support this Texas brand that supports you in pursuit of that next big bite. Real Sportswear humbly started making shirts for a few local fishermen. Rooted in simplicity and utility, Real's minimalist approach is a reflection of what binds the fishing industry together. Now found throughout many coastal retailers, their lineup of comfortable and functional gear aims to make your time in the water a success. So next time you're gearing up, Wear what guides wear and consider real sportswear. Mirror Lure is an iconic inshore fishing lure company found in every angler's arsenal. From their legendary lineup of lures such as the Top Dog and Catch 2000 to their versatile soft plastics like the Little John and Marshmallow, these lures not only catch fish, but have produced for decades. So whether it's a 17MR or a Paul Brown Series Fat Boy, Always remember to tie on a mirror lure and turn on the bike. Texas Custom Lures and the original Custom Corky have been podcast sponsors for the first two seasons and we're incredibly appreciative. This Texas brand with inputs from the most respectable guides across the Texas coast complete every big trout angler's arsenal. With great fish catching colors, my personal favorites, Texas Turnip, Bay Mistress, Plum Nasty to name a few. It's easy to see how these things produce time and time again. So next time you're targeting that next big bite, I highly encourage you to fish the original custom Corky. And remember, the big girls aren't colorblind. All right, so you kind of alluded to it, and I wanted to talk about that um, specifically with the podcast. And that was, so I understand that you guys have been doing a lot of uh, partnerships with Heart Research Institute. Can you tell everybody a little bit about kind of what you guys are doing and what Heart is and stuff like that? Because yeah. we do have a lot of listeners. Absolutely. Let me tell you, this is a this is a this is excellent uh, time, and I'm thank you for the platform. Uh, I met uh, Greg Stunts. He's the uh, chair at the Heart Research Institute, Texas A&M Corpus Christi, mm-hmm. at a CCA meeting here in San Antonio. Okay, and. We, you know, he was given a presentation, and and so I started asking him a question about trout and different things like that, and and we we ended up connecting the dots that I was part of the Empty Stringers program, and he had heard of it, and um, we started talking about fishing in Lower Laguna Madre. Long story short, he we started talking about snook and the potential comeback for snook, and I said, well, I've been catching snook in Port Mansfield for three years. Um, this will be my fourth year. And so he said, man, we would love to get a tagging initiative started on a, a pilot program for tagging snook because we have very little data on snook in Texas. Florida's got a lot. Hmm. Texas, not so much. Yeah. And I said, man, I, I, I'll, I'll be your guy. He said, perfect. So long story short, I started this tagging initiative with uh, Dr. Greg and his team over at the Heart Institute. And the Heart Institute is a, a bunch of scientists that, mm-hmm. that do a lot with uh, red snapper, counts i mean just a ton of things involve fishing and the 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 resource of such they know about it or they're researching it to see what trends we're on are there more trout less Mm -hmm. trout more snapper less snapper the whole spectrum so 
I said back to the tagging, I said, I'll do the tagging for the snook. But if you don't mind, I'd also like as an auxiliary benefit, I'd like to tag flounder and I'd like to tag trophy trout. Mm-hmm. Anything over 20. He, he wanted over 28 inches. Um, and I said, look, you know, if I, I fish enough to know what a genetically gifted trout looks like. So if I catch a big 25 or 26, I want to tag that fish just to see how this thing goes. Right. So they agreed. And we've been tagging snook. I was tagged snook all of 2020 and and be some nice trout and some flounder mm-hmm. so i've tagged uh over 50 something fish total now it's probably over 60 and 28 of them were snook that i tagged for 2020 uh weight fishing for them mm-hmm. out of port mansfield have you gotten any returns yes as a matter of fact as a matter of fact out of 28 tag snook we've had three recoveries no kidding that's and that in the scientific world is probably one of the largest percentages they've seen and because talking to dr greg and his team over there generally scientists on these tagging and and, and reach captures they're talking one to three percent is what they have to work with mm-hmm. on the returns right that's that's what they but now we're up to three which is putting us around ten percent on a re, on a return that's huge, <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah, that's huge so so we definitely know you know, we know where the three were caught and tagged and where they ended up being caught again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and their growth rate, you know, how much they grow in a particular time and what direction they're traveling. So it's super, super cool to be able to see this mm-hmm. and just to see how far those snook have traveled. Because I don't think redfish and trout really travel that far. Generally speaking, they can. Yeah, but but we, since we don't have any data on snook, any data is good. No, for sure. And I, I know, I think Mike. Have you talked to Mike about McBride? I know they had done. I think with some geotagging for some of the trout that they did. Yes, that was through the that was through was the Hart Institute. Yeah. Yep, a long time ago. And there was one case where the trout was caught Port Mansfield it ended up in Corpus. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. But but that's that's an anomaly. Yeah, and so. And is that even, I, 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 admittedly, I haven't actually looked and read that much into it because I think there's a um, a thought that there's kind of tide runner trout and in mm-hmm. folk and trout that kind of grow up and live in the bay all the time yeah. and that they're kind of like, they're both speckled trout, but they're kind of two separate strains, strains, yeah, yeah, if you will. Yeah. I've, I've heard, I don't know much about, much about yeah. it to get into. That'd be interesting to yeah. kind of see. So uh, is there a goal for you like in 21 of how many fish that you want to target i'm sorry not target but tag tag no no i mean because you can't you you can't you got to be careful of that because you don't know when you're going to catch a snook i mean you got to put in the time they're mm-hmm. hard they're hard creature to get but along the way you're picking up nice trout and flounder obviously yeah and that and that's what we're doing but i don't have a target they you know we would have tagged a lot more because i had 50 caught mm-hmm. but i had i was out of tags a couple of times and by the time i got to you know, got tags back down. I'd missed a couple opportunities, yeah. you know, to get, get a tag in a fish. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I know I've shared with you enough, but you know, pops did a lot of tagging. Oh, yeah. And one of the things to your point, I think a little bit, uh, with is, you know, sometimes, well, one that scientists can really, I think, generate a lot of understanding about a fish species just by simply tagging and in recaptures. Oh yeah. Uh, and so if you get some of these recaptures and you're listening to this podcast, snook or trout or whatever it is, please call in those tags. That's mm-hmm. actually, that's such a simple thing and a concept, but you'd be surprised as many people will see that tag and they know like, okay, whatever. And they just flay the trout or whatever it is and don't necessarily call it in. Yeah. That, 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 that shocks or, me. Or actually. catch it and harvest the fish as opposed to like catch it, see a tag, call it in, write it down and then release the fish mm-hmm. to see if it's recaptured again. Um, that's what my dad's seen. All the fish that he's basically had recaptured have all been harvested. Um, but just in two specific cases, um, to kind of show that these of what the scientists can tell from this is that he actually popped, uh, two tags and some fish. He had a great fall. I think he tagged like close to a thousand fish in one area, uh, between October through January in, uh, two of the fish that, he recaptured were the tags that he popped in those trout a month before. Now they had grown an inch mm-hmm. from when he tagged them and recaptured them, but he literally caught them in the exact same spot. Yeah. And so the thought process there is like, well, hell, if 
these big or any big fish, but if these trout are comfortable in that surrounding, when you release them right back, they're going to go right back and just there's enough forage there. The environment's good. The salinity's solid. You know, like everything's so they're not going to move. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, um, and they'll, they'll adapt as needed. But it's interesting to think that even a 14 or 15 inch trout released will go, go right back into the habitat and not move unless unless needed right yeah. so that's just one simple thing now he did have one trout that was caught and he tagged it in lower uh barataria which is kind of close to grand isle and it had swam all the way around the mississippi delta and was recaptured in delacroix yeah so that's a that's a long way but that was like literally one out of the eight or nine hundred trout that he had recaptured so yeah but snooker snooker sensitive to water temperatures mm-hmm. So they're moving. If that water temp drops, they're yeah. they're they're getting out. They're going to seek warmer water. Yeah. And and the trout, he probably can adapt of some degree and just move ride slightly. Yeah, yeah, ride it out. Yeah. So we we do know that for sure. On That's snow. cool. I'm interested to see how this transpires, and if if we can help in any way, that'd be awesome too, right? Yeah, I um, think we're going to help jointly. Actually, trying to no, uh, with uh, with some uh, funding. Oh uh, yeah, you know, yeah, for, yep, yep, for. for <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. We're being crazy cryptic right now, but uh, no. no um, actually, do you mind if I share no, that a little bit? It, yeah. Okay. So, um, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. Well. <laughs> so, in short, um, the Speckle Truth guys uh, got with us at KW and we came up with a color in a in a new particular uh, ball tail shad color uh, called the Truth, and um, we've been fortunate enough to be field testing it here recently, and mm-hmm. it's it's really good. So. Out of the proceeds, a portion of the proceeds from the sales of the truth is going to be provided to the Heart Research Institute and I believe some contact Mississippi Gulf Coast Research Institute um, just to promote the fishery and to do our small part in promoting and sustainability of the fishery and the science behind it to support it. So, so we're looking forward to that and, um, and and to all the, the the listeners out there, you know, uh, this is one where it's a, a cool return. Where no. you guys came up with a color, we produced it, and a portion of the sales is going to go back to the fishery to conservation. Yep. Exactly right. And so, thank you for affording us an opportunity to do that. And I think it's actually pretty cool for one, not only for K Wigglers, but aside from that, from everybody else who's going into a retail shop and seeing mm-hmm. maybe this color that that catches fish, right? Um, but then aside from that. Um, actually having that small portion of that sale actually go back to your fishery. That's, That's a good right. thing, right? That's a good thing. So, yeah, I appreciate just kind of letting us, you know, be a part of that. No, we you appreciate know. you. I yeah. think it's a, it's a, it's a joint effort on this and, and people that know me know that I lean pretty conservatively <laughs> on the yeah. fishery, right? I mean, I don't mind eating fish. We all do. We love it. And, uh, um, I just think that uh, it, we can get a little egregious and when it comes to keeping fish sometimes, and we just need to kind of steer away from that. And, and the reason I'm giggling is because I wanted mm-hmm. to segue, that was a great point, which was to the Empty Stringers Catch and Release Program. Mm-hmm. So you are the champion uh, behind that initiative. Uh, we've heard a, a lot uh, about that. We see Dave Flad release over 20. Yep. We're huge supporters of kind of his endeavor and what we do. You as a guide, us as kind of like a corporate quote-unquote sponsor, we all see the value in kind of that initiative of, you know, responsible harvest and, and stewardship towards a resource, you know, but you really are the kind of fundamental um, agent, if you will, change agent within the kind of guide fleet as well as mindset with the empty stringers catch and release program. So for some of our listeners who may not have heard about uh, the program that you and I believe Ernest mm-hmm. had come up with. You bet. Um, go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about it. Yeah, it, real quick, you know, um, Empty Stringers came about five, about five years ago. Captain Ernest and I were running some double trips together, and we had a full boat, six guys on each boat, uh, and we had full stringers of fish. It was, we had fish for days. You know, everybody had the limited reds, everybody had the limited trout, had flounder mixed in, mm-hmm. and we did the, the stringers on the boat and the fish all laid out on the deck of our boats, you know, and, and, and we started thinking about it. It just didn't feel right, Chris, mm-hmm. really. It just didn't feel right with us, even though we were within the law um, legally on keeping those fish. It just didn't feel right. So we're cleaning fish that night at my, my fish cleaning table, and we got to think about something to do something about this. This is just seems to be too much. You know, it just seems to be too much. And because and, look at all these fillets we have. And, mm-hmm. and we did, went out and did it again the next day, right? Because we had a two-day trip. 
And uh, Ernest says, we need to, let's do it. How would you think about empty stringers? Okay, empty stringers catch and release program. What are we going to do about it? Well, let's offer it to our clients. And if they want to go out and do catch and release only, you know, we're st- they're still going to pay us our guide fee. But at the end of that trip, they're going to get some swag from some of our sponsors. We'll go draw up some, some swag from some of our sponsors. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll keep track of how many keepers we release. The client will, and so will we. And uh, at the end of the year, we will draw their name from the hat. And in the interim, we will go to our sponsors and try to get bigger prizes, you know, larger ticket, mm-hmm. large ticket items for the winner. So, so at the end of the year, after a full year of doing, offering it to our clients, which, by the way, is I'm nearly at 50% catch and release trips, uh, we pull a name from the hat. And we provide a free fishing trip for two. And then every year, the, the grand prizes change a little bit. For example, three years ago, we gave away a pair of Sims G3 waders. year before that, or year after that, we gave away, in addition to the free fishing trip, an AFCO jacket, mm-hmm. shallow sports swag, um, Sims, AFCO, Costa Del Mar, mm-hmm. sunglasses, Shimano reels, fishing tackle unlimited, green rod. I mean, we're giving away yeah, nice stuff, legit, right? So yeah. <laughs> legit, right? Yeah. Anybody would want it. And and then, and then we keep track of how many rele- releases that we made throughout the year. And then so we're just keeping this tally going. And we have great sponsors, and they, they love it. And I can tell you why they love it, Chris. Because if you're in the fishing industry, whether it's the boating, lure manufacturing, rod business, doesn't matter what. But you're in the fishing jacket apparel, doesn't matter. You know, the sustainability of the resource is, is going to keep you in business. Mm-hmm. And if fishing gets horrible or, or gets fished out or, God forbid, something worse happens, you know, you're not going to have as many boat sales. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have as many lure sales. You're not going to have any rod and reel sales, right? So just doing a little part from the ground level up, let it percolate from the ground level up rather than and I've been in law enforcement, and I know how this works, the law, rather than having the law come into place from the top down and say, you're mm-hmm. only keeping five trout, which they did, mm-hmm. um, we, we can we can probably try to fend that off some if we do it ourselves and do our part yeah. before, before the law gets involved or legislation. So it makes sense to do it that way, and in, in, in only in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, we're seeing it in Florida, right, where some zones oh, in Florida close, are close, close seasons. Close season. We don't want to, and then I had a conversation with somebody recently, and they're like, "Yeah, well, the uh, um, we're not Florida." I said, "Well, we don't want to be Florida." <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's let's look at it for what it is, you know. And I and being in law enforcement for for a long time and having seen some some legislative moves have take place, and this is simply just a general obs- observation, Chris. But if the law has to get involved, generally it's too late. Yeah. Now we're in catch up mode. Sure. That's what it boils down to, and anybody, no one can argue with that. Well, I think the guys in North Carolina that are listening to this podcast are going to like mm-hmm. probably jumping up and down right now, like absolutely, because <laughs> I mean, right now the gill nets are running rampant up there in their inshore waters and it's depleting the fishery. And from what I understand is they have a closed season on flounder right now because the flounder fishery isn't as rebounding as it, as it is. And so, you know, they're wanting some legislation to help with some of that, but it's already past the point of like, uh, and so these guys are, you know, kind of riding it out in frustration but to your point is like let's not let it get to that point oh absolutely right and just it's a simple thing do you need like in back in my home state do you really need 25 12 inch trout every single day you go fishing probably not probably not but i mean does it mean you can't catch 100 trout absolutely but just man keep 15 10 15 if they're all dinks but if you catch you know a good handful of really nice quality trout keep those you know or it's just, just responsible stewardship. That's all it does. That's all it is. Is that's, like, that's all. Just because the law says you can do it doesn't yeah. mean you have to do it. You know, I say this all the time. The speed limit on seventy-seven is seventy-five miles an hour. Okay, what if it's raining or it's slippery or foggy? <laughs> you, you might not want to do it. And right. I think we're in this foggy, that's a great analogy. slippery area in our fishery, right? Yeah. Just because the law says you can do it doesn't mean you have to because it could be dangerous. Yeah. We could be on it, and it would be dangerous doing 75 miles an hour if 77 is full of fog. Yeah, and it could be catastrophic, right, with past the point of no return. Yep. I mean, staying in line with kind of that analogy, which is a great one, um, that's a, <laughs> it's a, it's it's deep, man. It's food for thought, but it, it really goes back to a simple act which you guys have been, again, a change agent from a God perspective 
which is you've been able to sustain um, a guide service operation with a clientele that is now 50% catch and release. So that's really, you know, going back to our original conversation, which is, you know, guiding is a pretty mm-hmm. tough endeavor. It's very labor intensive. Well, shoot, 50% of your clientele is not even a keeping a fish. Well, that, that cuts off maybe an hour of your day right there because you're not having to clean fish, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, right? and, so, clean it, and it's not, it's cleaning fish isn't a big deal because we can whip through them pretty quick, you know. But, yeah. but it, you know, like for my personally, this is, you know, Port Mansfield, people come to Port Mansfield to fish for two days, generally speaking. You might have one mm-hmm. or two people one or two days, but usually it's a two day trip because people traveling from San Antonio, Houston or wherever, and they're not going to drive all the way down there for one day of fishing. Mm -hmm. So a good, a good happy medium is, Hey, keep fish one day. We'll do empty stringers the next. And, and that's just that, that, that hits well. Yeah. Everybody's liking that idea. Uh, I don't even know that I've had a two day, you know, meat haul, so to speak, Mm -hmm. um, recently. Now, now the only the only drawback to this, Chris, and I've noticed it over the last few years, is there are those folks that say, "Well, I don't like what he's doing. I'm going to keep fish every single time." Now, mm-hmm. you know, you get you you obviously have to deal that with that to some degree, and it's like, really, guys? I mean, because they show them all over the bow of the boats, and you know, and we've all been there. We've all done it. I've been there. I'm admitting, admittedly, yeah. have done it, but I've seen what it can do. And, um, I think we can do something a little better. Sure. And that's, we've seen it too. Same, same situation where we're, you know, promoting take what you need, release arrest. And we're obviously sharing most, you know, catch and release photos and and content that kind of stems from that. Um, and we're trying to one, just showcase a resource, but it's kind of positive reinforcement. But on the flip side is we get like the hashtag kill them all Mm -hmm. and it's VFR direct straight to us. Oh Oh yeah. And we're like, come on, man. Like, is that truly necessary? Uh, you know, out of spite, you're going to kill, you know, X amount of fish just because you don't like us. I mean, it's not like we've been mean to you. You know, we're just asking you to consider something a little bit more sustainable. Yeah. And yet we're, you well, know, getting pitchforks and torches. <laughs> but it's funny because those guys, you know, they should they should love us the most over anyone because we're actually providing more for them. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, pro- Catch we're my quota, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, we're like this and I'll tell you a funny, you know what I, I, I want to just give a real quick comment on something recently that happened about being a change agent and to being a positive influence. Okay. We recently held our, um, KW pro team event in Port Mansfield. Mm-hmm. We had 20 some odd anglers down there all around all the pro team and their significant others and so forth. We went fishing, Chris, with a big pile of people. And it wasn't even part of the conversation. We released over 200 fish that day. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even like, hey, guys, are we going to do catch and release today? I mean, it, it didn't even come up. Yeah. It was just natural flow, right. which was super, super cool to see. Well, I mean, that's like us this weekend, right? Oh, yeah. Where, yeah. I mean, we haven't even, that's not even a question. I mean, it's not like we couldn't, right? Mm-hmm. But, and obviously, if we, if I do catch a fish and it's, it's pretty, pretty far gone, right? Sure. Which, which happens, mm-hmm. and that's understandable. That's sustainable hor- harvest, right? That's yeah. re- being responsible is just releasing it, just release it and watch it go belly up. That's not responsible either. So shout out, though, because and they, they're going to listen to the podcast and hopefully get a kick out of this, but uh, Chris Elliott, James Sanchez, mm-hmm. Colton Mitchell, good good fun, friends of mine obviously support you as well. I think they were part of that yep. that event down there. So shout out to, to, <laughs> to my guys, me and Colton. Uh, it's one of my fishing buddies. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good dude. Yeah, um, but uh, no, I just wanted to kind of reemphasize that, particularly with the Empty Stringers Catch and Release program, is that you've been able to run um, a sustainable operation by simply trying to change the culture of the folks that were your clientele. Yeah, just right? offering it. That's it, Chris. You know, yeah. it's like, hey, you don't want to do it? No problem. We can keep mm-hmm. them. You know, the other thing is, uh, you know, you mentioned Dave Flad. Yeah, uh, he he came and fished with me a while back, and he got a PB. He got him a real nice trout down there with me, and then and then during that, he I think that was at the beginning stages of his release twenty mm-hmm. uh, campaign, and uh, I really took that to heart. And so that's just a a rule on my boat. Uh, you know, we release all the trout over twenty inches, mm-hmm. and, and I've no one has even batted an eye at it. It's like if they're keeping fish, no problem. We're just gonna release fish over twenty and. Uh, have a good day. Keep redfish, flounder, whatever. But trout, they're just more fragile, in my opinion. Yeah, 
That's cool. I love Dave. Uh, Dave's been a huge supporter. Uh, we release him tremendous, or uh, we support him tremendously. Uh, we we did the old school October. We donated a bunch of the proceeds, actually 50% of the proceeds, to sustain that release over 20 operation because we at Speckle Truth are really kind of target targeted towards trophy trout, mm-hmm. 27 and above, and kind of how to target those and take care of that fish. And, and so the 27 above, so it's a nice again kind of the 20 to 27 inch mark is that's six in or seven inches you know that he's you know responsible for trying to promote responsible stewardship for and it's aside from that it's really just a mindset because it could transcend a redfish flounder again ours is more you know targeted to big trout but we we fully support what he's doing really because it's a culture shift and a, and a mind sh- mindset change yeah you know no doubt about it but uh, nobody and everybody likes catching big trout chris <laughs> yeah <laughs> including me true fair uh <laughs> yeah i've done some pretty silly things i shared that uh in the podcast recently that i did with erica um <laughs> about how uh sometimes fairly insane that i can be you know trying to target these fish they they really do drive you crazy but um i know we were talking pre-show and you had um, something that you actually wanted to share, and it talks about kind of angler development. Yeah. And I think it involved Erica, right? So yeah. if you can share a little bit about that and kind of what your thoughts and then kind of tie it in. Yeah. I, yeah. She doesn't know that I'm going to talk about her, but I'm going to talk <laughs> yeah. about her because she's, she's such a positive influence on with, for the, with lady anglers, the Texas Women Anglers group. Mm-hmm. She's a positive influence for our, for our team. She just, she's a great gal. So, and I've been fishing with her for a while, and I've actually seen her, her improvement levels, you know, rise dramatically mm-hmm. on fishing. So recently, and this was just the other day, we're fishing her, her and Josh, her fiance, and, and he had some people, and I had me on my group, and we're fishing this particular area, and I'm, I'm, I watch the line, you know, you watch your wade line, and I'm, and I'm seeing where she's at, and, and there was this beautiful grass line that kind of tapered off into this real big pothole, and fishing was slow. And we're fishing along, and I'm thinking, man, if I was her, I would work my way to the right, and I'd get that pothole over there. You know, I would work that pothole thoroughly because that's where the fish have been. And she knew enough to know that. So we're waiting along, and I'm, because I really would like to have been there myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I was just way too far; I couldn't do it. So we're waiting along, and then the next thing I know, I look back, and she's slowing up. And I think, hmm, and sure enough, man, just not lo- much longer after that, she takes some right-hand steps over there, and she's just lagging way behind the rest of the line, and she goes over there and does exactly what I would have liked to have done. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't five, six casts later, I look over, and, you know, she has a kind of a pronounced hook set, you know, way mm-hmm. she, her whole body bends into the hook set instead of just her arms and shoulders, and she's fighting a big old fish, you know, and I thought, well, that's cool that, that she identified that. And, and worked her way over there and got got to capitalize on an opportunity. Yeah. Is that one of the things that's rewarding about being a guide is maybe seeing that kind of development even over the course of two days of fishing, like a, a group? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's more important to see them come back. And, you know, they show up with a mo- nothing against mono line, right? But just they show up with with gear that's that's not quite – they could be a better angler if they had better gear, right? Mm-hmm. You can, you can fine-tune yourself to that degree. And the next trip they come back, they're wearing Sims waders. You know, they've got those AFCO sun gloves on, whatever, whatever it may be. And then they're more dialed in. They've got a better rod. They've upgraded their reel, show up with braid. They've got three or four bags of plastics and a couple jig heads, right, that we used on the previous trip. Then you might show them, go, go in to show them how to tie leader to braid, knots, mm-hmm. loop knot, whatever. The following trip, they show up. They're tying their own knots. They got braid scissors on their lanyard. You know, you just to, to, to watch that unfold is pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah, and so that's, you know, got to be one of the rewarding things is, you know, seeing a guest, you know, come the first time, particular case and with Erica, where you've seen kind of the angler development kind of right before your very eyes to see them come back and then be productive kind of on their own and start to pick things up every time. Yep. And now be kind of that more proficient angler in that thought process to the technique and being able to cast and, and make a precision cast or whatever it is, work that bait. And it feeds off of itself. Does it? It builds off of itself. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I, and, I, and um, even so much so where, where we're, you know, the Texas women anglers are putting together a class to mm-hmm. teach She's ladies got, how, yeah. to, how to run boats, uh, 
tie line, clean fish, take fish off, X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's coming up, and I think she'll be part of that, too. And yes. She touched on that, actually, in her know. podcast. Yeah, and uh, I think y'all are going to try to have it this spring, COVID pending. Yeah, I we had it, had it last year mm-hmm. ready to go in the fall because fall's good fishing. Right? right, You want good fishing, right? Yeah. Fish catching opportunities for the ladies. Captain Ernest and I are going to put it on. So we're going to do that, and um, yeah. we're excited about that. Cool. Cool. Um, I did want to ask you two more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is kind of like, what's your big like favorite big trout memory or biggest trout catch that kind of stands out to you? Yeah, well, you know, we've, we've had a couple, but there's one. You know, people think if you fish Port Mansfield and you're a fishing guide that you have all these 30s and 10 pounders <laughs> that you've got under your belt and all that. When it's really not the case, right? Let's be realistic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's some big fish caught, no doubt about it. But the but the biggest fish on my boat or, you know, with me was uh, 10 and a quarter uh, caught by my buddy from Mississippi, old Glenn Ellis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's a, he's a friend of all. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but Glenn, you know, poor Glenn, uh, I say that. And then um, Patrick, his his running mate, you know, he had him on, um, had his personal best the year before, or the year before that. And with both of those guys, I'm going to tell the story because it really, yeah, it, it's but- a good one. So Patrick, the first year they come fishing with me, and they've traveled all up and down the Texas coast because they wanted a 30-incher, right? That's just kind of like the benchmark, apparently. Mm-hmm. So they come fishing with me the first time, Patrick and Glenn. It's the last day they're fishing with me, and Patrick catches a 30 and some change. And we get all the you know appropriate photographs. And I happen to write for Texas Saltwater Fishing Magazine, right? It's a pr- premier magazine for Texas or all over, really, for saltwater only. And I said, this is a cover shot fish. You know, I'm thinking in my mind at the mm-hmm. time because I'm, and I, so I take all the right pictures and release the fish, of course. And so Glenn and Patrick were like, oh, man, I can't wait for you to send me those pictures. I'm like, yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> so, so, so like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I said, this this has potential to be on the cover of Texas Saltwater Fishing Magazine because of the quality of the fish and that backdrop and so forth and the story behind it. You guys drove all the way from Mississippi. And I said, okay, that's fine. I said, yeah, but if it's going to make the cover, I can't give you the pictures until after, after the cover yeah. makes because they like exclusivity to the magazine. And so they're like, you know what? That's fine. Okay, well, they they anticipated like a next month cover. <laughs> so this is like yeah. February or March. <laughs> well... You know, they, they go, they're seasonal on their cover shots, and uh, that cover wasn't going to come out for about another eight or nine months, maybe a year. Oh, man. So I had to hold that photo from, from Patrick and Glenn for a year. Well, sure enough, you know, they it comes out, Patrick's on it, I give them the pictures, everybody's happy. So fast forward two years later with Glenn, and it's 10 and a quarter. So we're fishing along, and I'm actually field testing a brand new lure that we're going to launch later in 2021, and I'm fishing it. And I'm standing right next to Glenn, and I catch like a seven-pounder. And a seven-pounder is big for anybody's standard, but especially big for Louisiana and mm-hmm. Mississippi. Yeah. So I catch a big fish. Glenn looks at me. And I, said, oh. I said, I had one lure. I had one lure, Chris. Mm-hmm. One prototype. It's a prototype, yeah. <laughs> I throw out again. I catch like a seven and a quarter or something along those lines. And I look over at Glenn, and he's throwing something else. So I walk over to Glenn, and I said, give me your line. So he gives me his line. I cut off my lure, tie it onto his bait or his line, take his lure, put it on my line. So his, like, within five casts, he catches a PB, right? It's eight and a half pounder, fat, fat, fat fish. And I'm like, this is a cover shot. I'm thinking to myself because it was just humongous. Mm-hmm. It was just the way that it was proportioned. Girth, yeah. yeah. So he's all excited. So we finish out the day, had a great day. The next day, of course, he hasn't taken off the lure. Because we caught, we had a great fishing trip. Yeah. So um, the next day we're fishing, and it's at the end of the day, and I'm sitting in the boat, just resting, and Glenn throws over and he and he hooks into something, and I see the 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 fish regurgitated something at the hook set. Right, I see the slick, and it's one of those trout slicks about the size of this table. We're sitting mm-hmm. out. Yeah, you know it's a big fish, and it's splashing around. So I hop in the water, run over there, get my phone, start recording. I go to slow motion mode, right? You couldn't have asked for a better shot. I mean, the fish, you were like, here's the script, do it. <laughs> it was exactly like that. 
Glenn, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop because he has his boga grip out. He's fishing with a small spinner, which I'm a big fan of throwing a spinner with plastics. And he misses the fish's mouth, right, with the boga grip. And it is the fish of a lifetime. Fish for me, for my lifetime, right? Finally, he gets the fish landed, and it's a 10 and a quarter pound fish. And we know that baby's going to be a cover shot, right, because you don't catch those every day. And sure enough, same thing, Glenn. Or, yeah, sorry, buddy. You know, we're at, we're coming out of waiter <laughs> yeah. season. We'll have to wait another year for you get this picture. Sure enough, you know, he, I gave it to him eventually, and that's the long story short of how that unfolded. And, and to this day, he still has that lure, which, you know, is a crummy color, right? Because we just poured a bunch of mix-match plastic together just mm-hmm. to shoot a proto. And he, I think he's, he still has the lure. And, you know, he has a tr- fish of a lifetime. So, And I, I think it was around a time we were actually doing a Facebook Live here in a shop. Yeah. And they were just done. And I'm like, hey, how'd it go? And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you're like, Chris, um, it, if I tell you, I'm going to have to kill you. Yeah. You know, I'm like, all right. So you showed me that, that video. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I don't even think Glenn had seen it. So now the fact that maybe he's listening to this, <laughs> I saw I was, yeah, sworn to secrecy, and I'm like, oh, my Lord, man, this is insane. But yeah, you I couldn't was, have scripted it better with that, with that fish. When are you, are you, did you yes, release that? No, no, we have not released it yet. We're putting it, we're putting a, a commercial together. Okay. It will, it will come out. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, we're going to try to time all this stuff um, within the next couple of months. Okay. So, so we're going to try to coordinate all the, all the, all of our efforts and get, get some things going with it. But yes, we're going to try to get it knocked out this first quarter of this year sometime. Yeah. That's, that's going to resonate pretty well. I think on social media, Yeah, Glenn, you're, you're about to get some notoriety and K Wigglers yeah. about to sell some, some baits, I guess. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. just a great shot. Um, anybody who just appreciates or appreciates some of those kind of slow-mo headshots and, yeah and the end result glenn's face was priceless (laughs) (laughs) we'll leave it at that so uh last question um so if you could have and kind of impart any sort of kind of thoughts wisdom advice to folks listening to the podcast about conservation about guiding about even the lore industry the tackle industry what would you kind of give them well i would say you know try to try to stay humble you know with the guiding part of it just go low profile um do your thing uh, be respectful of other anglers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think about think about tomorrow instead of today. Um, and and that's really the the thing. Just in, and as the guiding thing goes, you know, if you're you know if you're going to do it full time without a secondary source of income, it's going to be tough. I in my opinion, it's going to mm-hmm. be tough based on your living style. But uh, take it slow. You know, try to develop the clientele that you want to develop for yourself. That's going to fit your fishing needs. Um, that's, that's the approach that I did mm-hmm. artificial only weight fishing only. Um, I had 16, 17 years to develop it though. So it wasn't overnight and people say, God, 15, 16 years is a long time to, to, to develop a, a clientele base. Well, it is a long time when you're in year one or two, but it's not a long time when you're 16, 17 years into it. Right. It's yep. like, yeah. And it, and it really pays off hugely big dividends down the road. Just take it slow. Um, I, you know, and especially if you're young, you have the time to put in for it. And it's even more important that if you are young, getting into the guiding industry, you ought to do all you can to preserve the fishery that you're in, buddy, because you, you, you're going to need it if you're getting into this thing full time, full time down the road. Cause if it's gone or fishing's crummy and it ain't worth it anymore, then there's a couple of things that could happen. You're going to have to compromise your pricing. You're going to have to compromise your approach to guiding. Mm-hmm. Um, the fishing's not going to be what it used to be. It's just, you know, it has a, a greater tendency to fall apart, so to speak, at that mm-hmm. particular time. So if you're new into it or an old into it, doesn't matter if you're anybody and you, and you rely on fishing as something you either, A, you enjoy or B, you rely on, you need to pay close attention to it. Um, because because you need it mm-hmm. or you want it mm-hmm. and and that's that's the best piece of advice i can give you you know and and that's the approach that i take and i just i just try to do it and just keep my head low and just do what i can really yeah, and, and stay true to your convictions but i think one one thing you said in there that resonates with me and hopefully it resonates with everyone listening is think about tomorrow instead of today right yeah and you know it's funny that's you huge. say that 
CCA, and I and I actually did a video. I haven't released it yet. A little mm-hmm. Facebook thing, and Facebook's obviously you you got to have it. You know, it's it's a double edged sword. Um, social media in general, but anyway, you know, I was reading a thing from CCA recently. Got it in the mail, and it there was a quote in there from Warren Buffett. Well, Warren Buffett's a pretty important guy. I mean, I, I watch Squawk Box in the morning on occasion and see the stock market, right? Yeah. And he said, um, somebody is standing in the shade today because somebody planted a tree a long time ago. And and I thought, wow, that is probably the most powerful quote I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, and that's going to be my position in, for 2021. You know, somebody's standing in the shade today because somebody planted a tree a long time ago. And... Uh, you know, that's, that's pretty good, pretty yep. good. And you can apply it to a lot of things and you darn sure can apply it to the fishery. Yep. Well, thanks so much, Wayne, for, uh, joining me, especially down here in Port Mansfield. Love it. I mean, again, this is my heaven, uh, ad- admittedly. And so just really appreciate, uh, the openness, um, and, and obviously the friendship aside from that, but just appreciate you being on a podcast. Yeah. And we're going to, um, for the, for, for when you launch this podcast, we're mm-hmm. going to, probably try to coordinate our launch for the video that we put together for our trip oh very cool on YouTube so at i the think same that'll time. be if i had to guess around kind of that last week in january so i think the week of the 25th if my calculations serve me right but yeah that'll be yeah, awesome yeah okay. about the about the trip cool. we put together and yeah. you know jimmy was around with the with the fish the shrimp boil the interviews the whole thing just to kind of compile it into a video on the on the kw youtube channel cool well good stuff wayne well i really appreciate it sir Uh, Thanks again. And uh, for everybody else listening to the podcast, we really appreciate your listenership. Please, please, please get out there, whatever platform that you're listening on. Leave us a comment or review us. Rate us if you don't mind. It certainly helps uh, with the podcast and kind of, you know, spreading the message, particularly with regards to trophy trout conservation. And so for all those listening, really appreciate it. And always remember, take what you need, release the rest, tight lines, and God bless. Take care.